All right. Well, I showed that clip not because it's March Madness and not because I love basketball, which I do, and not because I think it's the greatest romantic movie ever made, which I do. I know you can get some arguments over that. But I wanted to find an illustration that could show the significance of last words, something that could show the power of what happens when a leader gathers his team or his group or, as we've been studying Acts, his movement and gives them kind of final instructions. When we are with someone who's giving us sort of those last words, whether it was the case in this great movie where they're getting ready to go play the final state championship game, or if it's someone we love dearly who we know we're about ready to see off to heaven and we're having our last conversations with them, there is something powerful when there are last words given. There's something of significance to them that go even deeper than the regular conversations that maybe we'd had throughout the time that we knew them. People listen more closely, more intently. There is a sense of reverence and and respect as ears draw closer. And there is a tone that is both focused and a little bit softer because there is sentiment and emotion to those final words. And I think it's significant as we wrap up our book, our our study of the book of Acts today, to go right to Acts chapter 20. This is where we're going to bookmark back to as we get into this message This is going to be, and I want to set the stage for you, here's the scene. This is the final time that Paul is going to see the elders at Ephesus. And what he's going to share with them is going to be critically important as he hands off to them the work that must continue. And it's critically important for us as we model ourselves after that earliest church to take his words to heart. We are going to be spending a lot of time with final instructions here in the next month leading up to Easter. And our entire teaching series that we laid out all the way through Easter was absolutely intentional. We began this year with this study of Acts, and it's going to lead us right into the next study that's going to begin next week, and that is going to be some of the final instructions that Jesus gives his disciples in the book of John. We're going to be studying several chapters of those coming ahead. Our study of Acts has helped us discover that this movement, this body of Christ, we are his church, and that's what we're going to wrap up today. Next week, we're going to start looking at Jesus' final words as he's gathered himself with his disciples in in that upper room overlooking Jerusalem, knowing that he is soon going to die for the sins of all people. So to begin today and to wrap up Acts, I want to make one final observation and offer one more important encouragement to all of you, to all of us today. The movement, this movement that we have studied is the birth of the church of Jesus Christ. That's what Acts is all about. And as we know it today, it is the bride of Jesus Christ. And if the church is to be the bride of Christ, then it... And by definition, it, that is us, we, we must be the outpouring of his life. We must be the outpouring of his love and his teachings and his way. And it's only through his way that we are offered a bridge between our brokenness and with God's perfect holiness. So when we think of church, we need to view this body not as a club for saints, 
but as a hospital for broken people, of which you and I are all one of those. It's a place where we ourselves must find home every single day. And to illustrate that point this morning, I want to reflect one more time on the lives of the two most central figures in this book. That is Peter and Paul. And the first note that I'd like you to make in the notes that you have in your bulletin is to place your name in the blank next to Peter and Paul. So it could be Peter, Paul, and Rob. Peter, Paul, and Louisa. Peter, Paul, and Beth. Now, I understand if your name is Mary, Peter, Paul, and Mary, this could go a whole other direction for you. All right? But I want us to put our name right next to those two. And you're going to see why here in just a second. I believe that all of us are the legacy of these two leaders of this early movement. All founded in the simple sacrifice and the resurrection of Jesus Christ. That's where it all comes back to. And as a local church, we have one singular responsibility in this world when we are part of Christ's church. And that responsibility is this. We are to proclaim the love of Jesus through our words and our actions, and we are to testify to the saving grace that only comes through his death and resurrection. That's why the local church exists. We exist, we exist to glorify Jesus Christ, period. That's where it started, that's where it continues, and that's the role that we play as part of that local church. You know, Matthew Henry wrote a wonderful commentary on the entire Bible, all of Scripture, and this is what he has to say about the church. He said, The churches receive their light from Christ and the gospel and hold it forth to others. And I love this illusion. They are golden candlesticks. I love the picture of that. We are golden candlesticks, precious and pure. And not only the leaders, but all members of the churches, their light should so shine before men as to engage others to give glory to God. That's a pretty lofty goal as a Christ follower, to live our lives in such a way that we engage other people who we encounter to give glory to God as well. And he goes on to say that the apostles saw through the, through, as though of the Lord Jesus Christ, Jesus Christ is with his churches always to the end of the world, filling them with light and life and love. That's an assurance that we have. That Jesus is with us. Jesus is with us every day in our lives. Jesus is with us every day as a church, as a body connected to him. He is the vine. We are the branches. And it's with this light that we go out into that world and proclaim Jesus Christ. Now, every one of us should ask ourselves, is my family, is my workplace, is my neighborhood stronger and better because I'm a Christ follower? And I'm making an impact for him with every place I go and with every person whom I encounter. See, this is what the church of Christ does. It equips people to serve other people with the same love that Jesus offered to save us with when he died for us. And that's the energy, and that's the joy, and that's the mission that we have. See, we, go, we grow closer to Jesus through prayer and through worship, 
and the corporate study of Scripture together. And we do all of this so that we are constantly letting the Spirit build us up in community together. And as that Spirit builds us up in community, we can reach out to lost people. We can reach out to hurting people and needy, needy people with the love and the assurance of everlasting life with Jesus Christ. That's a church. And that's the church. And that's what we're part of. And so as we look back on some of these key themes, I just want to reiterate them before we go into Acts chapter 20. We've learned that this church, this earliest church that is accounted for in the book of Acts, was made up of witnesses. We can never lose sight of that. These are men and women who saw a risen Savior, Jesus Christ. They saw him with their own eyes. They are personal witnesses to his resurrection. And it's from that witness that they gather boldness. And the Holy Spirit fills them, and they proclaim boldly the name of Jesus within a region of people who, quite frankly, despise them, who want to stop this movement, both in terms of the Roman Empire and in many of the Jewish synagogues. They weren't ready to hear this message of Jesus. And so they paid a significant physical price to proclaim the name of Jesus. We learn about repentance in the book of Acts. The fact that you can turn from your past, you can turn from your mistakes, you can turn to, from whatever choices that you've made in your past, and you can find new life and new hope because of the resurrection of Jesus. That's plain gospel preaching right there. There is nothing that you can do or have done that cannot be forgiven by Christ. Nothing. That repentance leads to salvation. Through Jesus, we have the hope and promise that we have an eternity with God our creator, with God our maker. And it's this understanding of this salvation, this glory of heaven that's ahead that motivates us to testify, to give testimony, to share the good news. Look at what Christ has done in my life. Look at how he's taken me from the ashes and has helped me rebirth and regrow. If he's doing this for me, I can't wait to share this with somebody else. This whole idea of testimony. And finally, and I think this is so critically important, because anyone who's been involved in any kind of an organization or a team or, or you, whatever you've been involved with, you know that organizations or movements take the face of their leader. And in Jesus Christ, we see the most incredible servant leader who was ever present on this earth. It's his humility his promise that he came to serve. Jesus said, I came to serve mankind, and I've never seen a more clear example of that kind of humility than when the very people who he came to save hang him on a cross, jeering at him, spitting at him. His response was simple. He said, Father, forgive them, for they know not what they do. I don't think a greater act of humility has ever taken place on this earth. It was God sent. Jesus, fully man, fully God, teaching us this way. It, it compelled Paul in 1 Timothy 1.15 to write, Here is a trustworthy saying that deserves full acceptance. Christ Jesus came into this world to save sinners. And notice then what Paul says about himself, of whom I am the worst. Now that's humility. 
This is a man who is leading the charge, and yet he is the first one to look within himself and realize, I myself am the greatest of sinners. I am no different than anyone else I'm testifying to. That keeps a sense of humility in him, and it should keep a sense of humility in all of us. And so now I want to go to Acts 20, and I want to go to verses 17 through 35. I think we have this up for the screen, but if you want to turn in your Bibles and make some notes, I would highly encourage you to do so. This is the final words that Paul has for the elders in Ephesus. He's on his way to Jerusalem. And so if we can sort of imagine this moment where these men are getting their final instructions from Paul, I want you to listen for all of the themes that we've just talked about, all of the themes that we've been studying over the last two months. I want you to listen for these as we read through this together. Paul has with these men, they've been gathered, and he says this, You know how I lived the whole time I was with you. From the first day I came into the province of Asia, I served the Lord with great humility and with tears and in the midst of severe testing by the plots of my Jewish opponents. You know that I have not hesitated to preach anything that would be helpful to you, but have taught you publicly and from house to house. He mentions humility. He's talking about testifying, and now look what he says. He says, I have declared to both Jews and Greeks that they must turn to God in repentance and have faith in our Lord Jesus. And now, compelled by the Spirit... I am going to Jerusalem, not knowing what will happen to me there. I only know that in every city, the Holy Spirit warns me that prison and hardships are facing me. Boldness. However, I consider myself worth nothing to me. My only aim is to finish the race and complete the task the Lord Jesus has given me. The task the task that each of us has with every single day in our lives, the task of testifying to the good news of God's grace. He says, keep watch over yourselves and all the flock of which the Holy Spirit has made you overseers. Be shepherds of the church of God, which he bought with his own blood. And I want to show you verse 35. As any one of us thinks about when we reach the point where we're about ready to say goodbye to this earth, I can't think of a better way to look back on what our lives could be than what Paul writes in verse 37, or excuse me, 35. He says, In everything I did, I showed you that by this kind of hard work, we must help the weak, remembering the words the Lord Jesus himself said. It is more blessed to give than to receive. It's living a life fully sold out to Christ, giving us the power, the boldness to not only testify in his name, but the power and the boldness to give and give and give and give. So let's talk about two things that Paul and Peter share, something that they struggled with, and something that they were glorified in. We all know that Paul persecuted early Christians. He was a Pharisee. And part of his life's mission when he was younger was to end this movement. 
He was ready to kill any Christ follower he could find. And he was part of a movement that was trying to snuff out this Christian movement. And we know about his conversion experience on the way to Damascus. We know the power of that moment. And then we saw what was unleashed as soon as Paul had that conversion. Thirteen books within the New Testament, almost 50% of what's written in the New Testament, came from the hands of a man who formerly persecuted Christ followers. That's a testament to the will of God, isn't it? Not us, but God. Let's talk about Peter for a second. Simon Peter, he was, a, he, was, he was a very emotional guy, and he was also a bold guy. He's the first guy who stepped out of the boat when Jesus walked on water. He was bold. But he himself had his moments of fear and doubt. And when Jesus says to him, you're going to deny me, Peter says, no, nah, that'll never happen. That'll never happen. That'll never happen. And sure enough, he did. Peter not only abandoned Jesus, but he denied three times that he knew him. A huge moment of weakness for him and his following of Jesus. But Peter gets redeemed from that. And Peter goes on to be a fearless missionary for Christ. And as we learned in Acts 2, in verse 41, 5,000 new believers come to the faith because of the boldness and the witness of a man who denied Jesus three times. And so here is the lessons of these two men and the encouragement that it should give us. Their power and our power, their boldness and our boldness, their opportunities and our opportunities, it didn't come through them, and it doesn't come through us. It comes from God, who sent his son Jesus, who when we repent and are baptized into him, give us this Holy Spirit. And it's that spirit that enables us and ennobles us and it emboldens us to go out and make a difference in this world for him. It's not by us, but it's by the work of Jesus on the cross. What Peter and Paul were given is what is offered to us. In their own weakness, they sought forgiveness. And they were forgiven. And then they were empowered by the Spirit, which came through the atoning work of Jesus on the cross. The same promise that's offered to Peter and Paul is the same promise and same hope that's offered to you and to me. And we need to be in constant reflection of this as we enter this Easter season. Because you see, left to our own devices, we will say things, and I know I will speak for myself, I will say things that will... <laughs> hurt the cause of Christ. And I know that I will do things that will hurt the cause of, cause of Christ. I've said them, I've done them, and because I'm human, I'm, I'm pretty sure I'm going to make some mistakes down the road. And I'm pretty sure you will too. But the real glory and the real joy in this message isn't our brokenness. It's the bridge that we have from our brokenness to God's holiness. It is not only the story of Acts, but it's the story of all of us. Our sin cast in the presence of a holy God who created us. I want to show you something. I hope this stands. Maybe it's the best visual that I can give here. Okay, it stood. Good. By the way, I assembled this today, so that's why I was very nervous. And that's, that's why Josh already had to pick it up once. So here's the thing. I could show this. 
Above here, at the highest of the highs, is God's holiness. And it's a holiness that is beyond our comprehension. All right? Up here is God's holiness. And way down here is our sinfulness. Okay? Our sinfulness. So up here is God's holiness. Down here is our sinfulness. And look at this gulf. (laughs) This gulf that separates us because a holy, perfect God cannot tolerate sin. But at the same time, that holy, perfect God is a holy, perfect, loving God. And so something has to be done to rectify the justice that's required for our sinfulness. And so the link, the gap that begins to join these two is the gospel of Jesus Christ. And what links this gap is the cross on which he died. And it's the cross from which he was resurrected. You see, I don't have enough good favor, goodwill, money, good works, good acts. I have nothing in my own sinfulness that can draw me to a holy God. All I can count on, all I have, is the atoning work of Jesus Christ in my faith in him. That's the gospel. And that's the movement that started in Acts, with those witnesses testifying boldly that there's a risen Savior who came for sinners like you and me. That's Acts in a nutshell. Now, here are two promises that it gives us, and two words of encouragement that I really want to give you. See, we have these tapes that go on in our heads, I believe. And if you're under 25, I would say we all have these iTunes downloads that are playing in our heads. And those two tapes, those two downloads, those two recordings that sometimes work through our brain sound like one of two things. One of them goes like this, I'm unworthy. I can't believe the sins that I've committed. I can't believe how lowly I am. I can't believe how far apart I am from God. There's no way that I'm forgivable. And so we go through in our mind all the mistakes that we make, all the mistakes, all the mistakes, and pretty soon that starts playing in in a point to our brain where we're constantly living in fear. We're constantly living in shame. We're afraid to let people know who we really are. And so we put on our mask and we live in fear. That's one cycle, I think, that spins. I think another cycle that spins is on the opposite end. We see other people as unworthy. We see people who have hurt us. We see people who frustrate us. And so we live our lives with bitterness. We live our lives with some anger, with some resentment. And I want to share with you this. Bitterness and anger, they take the life out of us. And Jesus says, I came to give you life, and I came to give you life abundantly. And when I'm constantly living in fear, or I'm constantly living with bitterness, I'm letting that rob the life that Jesus died for, to give me abundant life. You know, Dietrich Bonhoeffer, um, a German minister who himself stood up against the Nazis, he lost his life in the 1940s said that when I think of someone who sins against me, I always think about the fact that I myself am also a sinner, 
And so at the end of the day, we're both leaving our sins at the foot of the cross. And it frees me. It frees me from my own sin, and it frees me from the bitterness I feel to someone who unknowingly sins against me. That's the power of the gospel. That's the power of the life that it changes. Jesus Christ came to save sinners. He redeems, and the cool thing about it is he continues to redeem Once we've been redeemed, he continues to redeem and refine us as long as we stay rooted in prayer, in scripture, in community, in church. It's where we grow. It's where we gather. I'll say it one more time as Paul said it. Jesus Christ came to save sinners of who I am the biggest. It's the power of this message. Now, I want to close today by showing you Um, a pretty powerful illustration. I had a chance last weekend to volunteer with a very good friend at a a college ministry retreat. And this video was shown. And so what I'm going to encourage everybody to do, it's about six minutes long, is to just have this in your own kind of quiet time, to make this as applicable for you as possible. If you want to just sort of go along with the images you're going to see, it's a pretty powerful illustration about what we just wrapped up here today and with the book of Acts. I'm going to show it to you, and then I'm going to close with a few words when we're done. It's pretty powerful. And if there's one concluding thought that I could share from the book of Acts, and like I said, we could spend a year in this book, but if there could be one concluding thought today, it's simply this. Thanks to the atoning work on the cross, we don't have to live with fear. We don't have to live with bitterness. We don't have to live with resentment. We don't have to live with our fists clenched to protect ourselves. Jesus and what he did on the cross, the grace he gives is the greatest gift that God could send us. And so I go back to Acts 2.38 after Peter laid out the case against all of mankind. Every one of us in our sin is guilty of the blood that Jesus had to spill. And the response of the crowd when they, when they heard this and when it, when it dawned on them and they realized this, they said, what are we to do now? And it's Peter who gave the invitation that I want to give right now. Peter says, if you'll repent and be baptized, you will not only be saved from your sin, but you will receive the gift of the Holy Spirit. And so as you sit here this morning, I'm thinking there's probably maybe two camps Maybe you haven't made that decision for Christ yet. I want to invite you to make that decision. But if you've made that decision and you're still kind of following that path that's kind of up and down, you're looking for redemption as well. That redemption is there. Open your hand and offer your repentance to God right now. I want you to think about those two things as we wrap up this song today. God bless everybody this morning.